talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I'm your host, Alex DeBoard. As always, my main man, Nick Wilson, is kicking it up and kicking it down. We're ready to put this one back. Hey, man, we got a guy coming all the way back to episode 10, 11, coming back and being with us again tonight. Cody's here, Cade's listening on. We're going to have a real good time tonight. Stay tuned. Pull up a chair and set a while. been so long since we've had somebody in studio with me i'm getting real bad nervous about this so nicholas wilson how in the world are you i'm doing fantastic man uh got a trip this weekend and i am excited to get on it in podcast land this trip will be like two weeks back two weeks back yep but cody and i just got back from illinois and golly jay i tell you what it's nice to be back here with you it feels like deer season upon us don't it oh it's exciting. coming in coming in quick coming in quick cody Good to see you. Good to see you, buddy. Excited to be here. <laughs> I know you are. I, I know Nick. I, I hadn't heard him say that in weeks. It was back all the way to Jason's episode. I heard him talk about how excited he was. And there was a lot of stuff different in that 10 and 11 episode. A lot of good information, though, shared. Oh, yeah. And if you hadn't listened to that one, make sure you go back to it because this is a precursor with it. And stop this episode. Rewind, listen to Pump that. your brakes. Go back and listen to them. We yeah, had a yeah. lot of bumpy brakes right. moments in yep. that one. And, uh, hey, if you didn't get your notepad out, you can go back and follow up with it again. Mr. Jason Lewis, glad to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Lots changed since you were here at uh, 10 and 11. It has. It has. Uh, I'm, I am now an owner of a lone wolf deer stand like the hat that you're wearing. We got camera arms. We got all kinds of Absolutely. stuff. That's hey, just, y'all are ready to hunt like a wolf. <laughs> that's right God, i love it i love it and it's been a fun time and so much has been learned since back then when you listen to how we did the shows at that point it was it was different but it was still fun and it was. i still think we're having the same amount of fun oh yeah 48 episodes later i think we dropped those episodes in december if i remember right if i went back and looked at them we probably done them in what late november was it and um i wouldn't have thought we'd have been at almost 60 pushing 60 here yeah, this would be uh, I don't know what number it is, but it's going to be a uh, it's going to be probably as fun as it was back then. Getting to hear Mr. Lewis talk about how he went on a mule deer hunt, he's hunted mountain lions, he's had an exciting experience moving into a new home. So it's been a lot of uh, changes for everyone since those first few episodes. And hey, I, I think you, I think you had, sorry to cut you off, but I think you had. I was going to add this. I think you had an excitement with um. Somebody very special to him taking their first deer. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get landed. <laughs> we got to get him to talk about landing his first deer and and hearing that story because we didn't get it on the previous That's one. Right. So I even threw an ink pen on the last one. So I'm gonna throw an <laughs> ink pen again just to make it nostalgia. <laughs> Jason, what has been going on, man? It's been it's been fun for you. It's yeah? been a good time. It's been a good year, good couple years. I really appreciate y'all having me back on. Always good to be here in the studio with every one of y'all. And um, you know, I tell you what's been going on is finding that balancing act between life wife kids church everything and as these kids get older and more entrenched and people told me this was going to come when your right. kids aren't young anymore but i tell you it's um it's a lot and there's you know there's days when there's not easy answers and you know still you finding just, time to get out there still and chase finding those time bugs, to get out there and you have to i mean that's that's my outlet you know but uh it's that balancing act has changed a good bit and so and i think the funny thing for me is is watching how people manipulate the the view of how they balance it and make it look so easy and some people are just always like down and out oh i got so much to do so mm -hmm. much to this and i'm thinking 
you ain't got crap to do. You at home watch. You posted on Facebook last night about watching Netflix. You ain't got nothing to do. <laughs> if, if you got time to do that, you ain't got nothing to do. So it's good to be back with you, like I said. And and I think the the concept or, or the follow-up to what we did before, if you haven't listened to those episodes, just like you said, Nick, you need to go back because the information that was put out there about the moon phases, the feeding times, the way you hunt the Midwest compared to the Georgia hunting, it's been a – I guess a full scope of what we've learned. And we've talked to some guys that reminded us a lot of how you hunt. And it's kind of a common theme of those, uh, those big, big name guys that are in the industry that hunt the same way that you do. And I think you've took a lot out of their playbook, but you've written your own playbook Mm -hmm. in it yourself, you know, through experiences just like those guys have. So, it's exciting to have you back to be able to share that stuff with I us love again. It. I'm still writing that playbook, by the way. I don't Do you think ever it ever really stops. stops. It yeah. never stops. Yeah. It, you're always adding to it. There's never enough pages. What is it, Nick? I was saying, I was saying before we get into what we're going to talk about, let's talk about Landon's first deer, man, because I, I, I want to hear that. Um, there's not a 200-inch deer in this country that would make me any happier than watching that little man kill his first four-pointer. That was so special. He's been hunting hard with me all through bow season. He put his time in. It was hot. It was muggy. We got blown at. He got caught raising the crossbow. Everything that a kid should go through, he went through it. He did. He put his time in. And finally, a buddy of mine that I hunt out, out, out of town with a good bit, and it lives over in Bartow County, he has permission to hunt a 300-acre wedding venue where they plant a lot of thousands of dollars worth of annuals and flowers at this place. And they have a deer problem. And they back up to a huge spread that C.W. Matthews owns. And they got deer galore. They're not very big, but they, they need to take a certain amount out every year. So he said, Jason, I got a feeder that goes off at like 4.30, and by 5 o'clock there will be 10 or 11 deer, and I'd love to have him come shoot one, and I don't care what it is. Just let him come shoot one. So we uh, we broke out the 243 for this one, and we sat in a, a good old double ladder stand, and Landon was in the middle with me and one of my best friends, and I just I can't tell you having your buddy with you to watch your son kill his first deer and to help video some of that stuff, there's no better feeling. But the, the feeder went off. Just like he said, and the first deer coming over the top of the hill was this four-pointer, and, man, he starts getting nervous. <laughs> and, I mean, it's not even anywhere near the feeder. I see it 100 yards up on the ridge, and he's coming, and it's late. It's the day after Christmas, so there's no leaves. You can see this thing coming a country mile away. We're 80 yards from the feeder. He makes his way down. He finally gets broadside, and I look at the end of the barrel, and it's not moving. It's steady Eddie. He's not all over the place because we weren't going to take the shot if, it was, if he was just too nervous, but – I said, buddy, if you're behind the shoulder, I said, let's take the safety off and let it rip. And he flipped the safety off and got back on the gun, and he squeezed through, and he put the most perfect heart shot on this deer I've ever seen. And it mule kicks and runs, and we're all high-fiving. He doesn't know what's going on because it didn't go down, so he didn't know if he hit it or not. Lots of emotions going off in those three or four (laughs) seconds after the crack of that rifle, but it fell within view of the stand, and we're high-fiving, and we're trying to get things to go. I'm dropping stuff out of the stand. He's steady Eddie. He's like, Dad, you want me to carry something? I'm dropping stuff out of the trees. The backpack falls over. My buddy Brian's trying to hand me the phone because he's recording all this. You know, I'm trying to unscrew tree hooks and get Oreo bags out of the back of the seat and milk cart little uh, chocolate milk cartons that's been left under i'm trying to clean up all the stuff and meanwhile i'm a wreck and brian looks at me he's like let's just go to the deer we'll get this stuff later you know? <laughs> so we climbed down and we we ease up there and film him and he grabbed those horns and I, i'm just telling y'all it it was the most proud moment that a father can ever have watching your son pick those horns up he was so happy 
And the thing that was neat about it was he got to go through the whole process. So we we sat there and gutted the deer. We wiped our blood and did the whole thing on his face. Took the deer the next day to uh, to get butchered and everything. He got to tell him what he wanted. We went and picked it up. He rode with me to pick it up. He tells everybody he gives some of that deer jerky to her. When mom makes tacos, that's his deer. That's, that's, right. deer. that's, that's awesome. Right. There's six in the freezer, but when we eat one, that's his somehow or some way. So <laughs> yeah. it's just it's really cool. You know, the whole concept of it, um, I, I just, I'm a proud father. I couldn't. You should be, and, you know, every time that anyone's been around your children, they can see that you're raising them the right way with the respect that they show to I others. And, you that. know, they're always, yes, sir, and, and no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I mean, that's the way it should be. And so continuing to do that and getting them into the outdoors has got to be an exciting thing for you. It I is, mean. and watching them get the bug just a little bit. I've not pressured my kids, but right. when they start asking questions, Dad, when deer season start up? When are you going to start showing me pictures? When are we going to put the corn out? That's when I know that things are resonating a little bit, you know. So it's cool. It's awesome. That's good. A lot of fun. Well, um, you know, that's going back to, to the end of last season and, and I want to stay there, um, and go back to when you, you, you took your mule deer and and I want you to take us through that story because we didn't get that on the last episode. We didn't get to talk about that. Yeah. I want you to tell us a little bit about that trip and how it went for you. That was a lot of fun. I learned so much. I've never been on a, uh, a backcountry mule deer hunt before in my life. And that time of year, with a bow tag that we drew on a public land unit out there, um, luckily, my buddy lives out there, and he had done some preseason scouting for us, and he kind of knew where these bucks were. But what's, it's just totally different than anything I've ever done before. A lot of the deer were either at 11,000 feet or 6,000 feet, and nowhere in between the two. Okay. And the day after Labor Day, all that smoke came over from the wildfires uh-huh. out in California, and you couldn't hardly breathe. I mean, it was just, it, it blocked the sun out and everything. And then we got snow up at 10,000 feet and above. I mean, there was four feet of snow up there. No, try to pack in one bag for a week-long trip where you have smoke, 94 degrees, 12 inches of snow. What's so you're really difficult. Colorado. Colorado. This is in Colorado. So, so you really get to experience all phases of it. We I did. Mean, we did. But we found the majority of the deer were still down low, and they were coming out to alfalfa fields late in the day. And the alfalfa fields might be on um, their public ground out there, and they might be on private land. So you got to be able to cut these deer off. So we did more. Honestly, we scouted more than we hunted. Right. And we would drive around, we'd walk, we'd film, we'd glass, and we found a group of bucks the second to last night that were coming into an alfalfa field, and we backed out of there and just left them alone. Didn't let them see the truck or anything. Got in there early the next afternoon, and I've never seen so many mule deer in my life. We had 11 bucks in a line coming around a corner through an old um, an old orchard and coming kind of on a kind of on a dog leg left down a fence line right mm-hmm. to this alfalfa field that was off of the government property that we were hunting, the unit that we were hunting and I picked out the one I thought was the biggest, and I about couldn't hold it together. All of them passed by, and he was the fourth one. So three bucks have already passed by. He's number four. He's at 26 yards, and I lost it and hit him high. I shot him right in the spine, dropped him on the spot, had to put another arrow in. But it was – when you get up to one of those deer and you realize how much they weigh, even in September, you, you, the big old ears and everything. I mean, I've never held one. It was awesome. That's your first one? That was my first mule deer. So going to – hunt mule deer and you've hunted elk before yes. 
did you see a similarity with the way that you hunted the elk that you hunted the mule deer was it totally different it's uh, totally different i mean the elk are bugling at you and you know kind of where they're at and you're locating them you're calling to them there's no call for a mule deer that's coming you know coming to feed right um it's all spot and stalk everything's on the ground there's no tree stand you got to be everything's dry out there everything you step on makes a noise whether it's a rock or not and crawling around and and figuring out patterns and using structure and terrain to make a a stalk was something i've never done before i mean it was it was really neat we had a great time with it i was definitely going to do that trip again learning how to manipulate that i guess yeah manipulating the terrain to get where you need to be and not getting busted by all those eyes and ears was was pretty cool was this a guided hunter just like you said your buddy this was just me and my buddy on public ground and he knew kind of how to direct it through that he did he's taken a couple really good mule deer and he was able to help me get on one And, and without him it probably wouldn't have happened um it was it was awesome. I would definitely want to do. If that. somebody wanted to do that, would you recommend them to do a guided hunt if they didn't have somebody like that to help them? I would because yeah. just the, you don't realize till you get out there. We I feel like we live in a bubble here in Georgia, and you right. get out there and it's just so much bigger than you can ever imagine. Oh, and to try to put a pattern on one one of their units can be hundreds of thousands of square miles. You know, it's just it's so much bigger than what you can wrap your head around. And so I would say at least the first time do a guided trip, but you've got to know where those deer are and they're somewhere different every year, according to him. And if you're not keeping tabs on them, kind of like in the Midwest, it's, it's a needle in a haystack. What kind of boots were you running? Um, no, actually I had on Kinetrex. Okay. I, I've since gone to Crispy's, but I, I had on Kinetrex. Yeah. On that trip, yes, sir. I, was, I didn't hear Dave ask about a Kinetrek. You might first send him a, send him a message. <laughs> how's on the How's the Krispies? The Krispies are very comfortable. I it, like them. Well, Dave was telling us it took him a while to get used to mm-hmm. because of just being so sure footed because mm-hmm. they're so stiff. Is they're, that, they're stiff and they put you at a little bit of an angle, so you're at kind of a pitch. So you need to go mow the yard, climb the hill, go to Kennesaw Mountain, and walk in them before hunting in them and okay. break them in. That guy told me from Crispy twenty miles, to twenty in. miles to break them in before you go on a trip. Wow. So when y'all saw me at Walmart with those jacked up socks around my calves and at Waffle House, <laughs> yeah, it was because I was going on a trip, not because I was trying to start a new fad. Yeah, <laughs> you'll be over in that subdivision with them new ones you buy uh, walking. I've been looking. I, was, I told Alex that I was looking at them online, but um, especially if we're going to keep going out west turkey hunting, I, I want a pair. Yeah, they last forever. Yeah. I mean, they do. And there's you know there's several good brands out there. But I tell you, I laughed at what Dave was talking about getting a good pair of socks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I laughed at that because that was me. You know, I just through whatever pair of socks I had on. I didn't wear yep. no good wool socks. So I'd say that probably. It's a pre- big deal. Yeah. yeah. Some sort of acrylic nylon blend and um, wool, right wool when it gets really? later. Merino wool. Merino wool is <laughs> the way to go. That's what I wear every season. day of my life. Yep. With these boots. Once you get made, used to them, it's hard to go yeah, back to. I, I wear them. If I wore them right now, I'd tear my feet off. <laughs> I, for guarantee you, I guarantee you I would. You wouldn't be able to sit next to me in my feet. And but you know what? Bad. I think I wore mine for so long, literally, because I wear them during the summer, everything. I got them on right now, that my feet don't sweat during the winter with them now. I mean, it just – and they wick the moisture away if you do sweat. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing with merino wool. They so. stink like hell. <laughs> my feet don't stink. Mine do. Mine, mine would stink if, if I wore flip-flops. I mean, they are bad about sweating. No I, doubt about I'd it. I'd have to keep a grill brush on me to brush my, <laughs> <laughs> break my top of my feet off and be so broke out. Oh, oh my <laughs> goodness. Well, that's, I mean, it's always interesting to hear how, I mean, you grew up here, so you, you know, you're going out to the, to the Western states and, and seeing that side of it. And I think a lot of people that listen think the unachievable is going, and they've learned through this podcast that it's not. It's not. 
I mean, it's a it's a feasible task if you plan. It's the fear of the unknown. Because none exactly. of us have ever done it till you just put your foot down and say, you know what, I'm going to go try it. And I've got to be prepared to eat tag soup, but I'm going to go have a good time. You go with a positive attitude. I didn't care if I killed a deer or not. That was icing on the cake. And that's like a lot of our trips we talk about. But we always think those trips are bigger than us until you do one, and then one becomes two, and then two becomes three. And then all of a sudden, you've built that level of confidence no matter where you go. Right. You know? Five years ago, when I started going to Illinois, I might as well be going to Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it felt like mm-hmm. to me—just a different world. Mm-hmm. And it felt like you said so unachievable. Yep. And now we're talking about going to other states, and we're going to go on a mule deer hunt with yeah, you. That's exactly and, right. Uh, we're all going to do that public land. Huh? <laughs> Cody is. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know we'll get on a deer in a minute, but do you think you would use any of those tactics that you learned on that mule deer for whitetail? You know, I don't know. It was so drastically different, Nick. It yeah. was really, really different. Um, using the wind, watching what you're doing, you know, being scent free, that was all very similar and the same. Because our last so. guest that we had on, I believe it was our last guest, Jared Mills, mm-hmm. he does a lot on the, on the ground. A lot yeah. of guys do. I'm not that confident. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'd rather I'd rather stick and move with a with a lock on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just what I'm comfortable with. I know a lot of guys that are very successful with spot and stalk whitetails in different states for different reasons, the terrain and things. I just I'm not confident enough yet to do it. And I think it goes back to what Jared said that you have to get you know like you told us all those episodes ago get out of your comfort zone absolutely jared will get down he knows he's only got a certain number of days to get a deer killed and if that deer's not cooperating on a piece of property and he's trying to hunt it the you know normal way he's got to get outside the box Mm -hmm. and find a way to do it a ghillie suit on the edge of a field as it's coming out of a bedding area that he has nowhere to put a stand absolutely sitting in a willow tree uh 12 feet up and and just propped up there with a guy filming him or you know, those those kind of ideas. Now, here in Georgia, it's going to be tough for you to stalk around the mountains and do it. But I'll tell you what, the public hunting guys came down here, and they, they slipped through the woods on, on yeah. public ground and, and got it done in a great deer. I mean, and I think it's I think it's all about finding that right situation to put yourself in. If you, if you try to do it all the time, you're probably not going to be successful with it, but you've got to find the right situation. Some of the biggest suburban bucks killed right here within 50 miles of where we're sitting have been off the ground. I'll tell you that. Yeah. As well. Yeah. And it can be done in certain situations. It's all about situational awareness, putting yourself in the best position to get that deer killed and make it happen. Absolutely. Getting out of that comfort zone. What about the mountain lion or the cougar or puma or what was it you called that? Said that one time, Nick. I I caught a cougar, didn't I? Yeah. And y'all said, oh, that's an old woman. (laughs) 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 Then I looked it up and showed y'all. They do actually call it a cougar. And yeah. the state of Utah gives permit cougar permits, um, and you can buy one over the counter. And basically, they have a certain number of cougars they want to take out every year to help protect their elk and mule deer herd, which I think is great. Here's what's interesting. If this one glacier unit has 40 cougar tags and number 40 gets called in, then that unit gets closed down right then and there, and you've got to go somewhere else. So on the daily, you've got to be checking in with the state of Utah and figuring out how many tags are left in that unit, and can you even run dogs in that unit. So this was a dog hunt, which is different for me. Right. I've ran beagles for rabbits and things like that, hogs, um, but I've never ran a mountain lion with dogs, so I, I wanted not. to, yeah. and it was a lot of fun. We worked our tails off. I've never seen a group of guys work so hard in my life. Driving, cutting a track in the snow, they could get out and look out the window of a Dodge pickup truck at 530 in the morning and tell me how old that track was based on how much snow was in it. I'm looking at it trying to see the track. I hadn't found the track yet, but they had lights on the side of the trucks. Everything was rigged up just specifically for this, and they live and die by raising lion hunting dogs. It was really cool. So 
we spent almost six days trying to cut a track. Only twice did we turn the dogs out. And one time it was on a smaller cat that we backed out of. And then pretty close to the end of the trip, we finally got on a big cat. And we ran it six hours in a football-shaped oval. And it kept running the same track. And I finally asked the guy, I said, why do you think it's running the same track? He said, that's probably an old cat. And it's got a fresh kill somewhere within this six-mile radius that it's running. Six miles for six hours. Wow. And finally, when the dogs got close enough, it split off that oval it was running and went straight up a canyon, and that's where we treated. And that's, where it, that's where it made it. That's where it's made it. He got tired. He got tired, and I would be too if I had eight hounds you know, running me for that long. But that's how you hunt them out there, and they have to get rid of so many of them a year. That's what people don't understand. I had a lot of people question me on that type of hunting and you know, doing it with dogs. Did you feel like that? You cheated. No, I feel like I helped the ecosystem. I yeah. mean, that, that line has killed no telling how many fawns and how many elk and things like that, and they have to get rid of them. So if you're going to get a deprivation tag, that's the way to hunt them if you're going to be successful at it. And it was a blast. Did the dogs stay on them the entire time? The whole say. time. The whole time. And they let they mix their pups up with their older dogs so the pups can learn. And so they're always running pups no matter when they turn out with those older dogs. And sometimes the pups will get confused and the guys will run behind them and kind of get them back on track. And it was really odd because we're sitting there watching GPS and this is the same way with coon hunting, but those those dogs will be three or four miles from the truck on private property and this line they don't have boundaries. Right. They're just going to go where they got to go. It was really unique to watch how hard those hounds worked and how they stayed with that line the whole time. They had probably a screen in the truck, and they would you'd see it, it was running really the cool. They all had antennas on top of the truck for better reception, and there's four or five trucks with us helping. You know, and if one pack of dogs was on it and it got somewhere that we could get to with the truck and drop another pack, that's what we would do. A it lot was of t- really cool. That's a lot crazy. of times, if we're rabbit hunting or when we used to coon hunt, people would ask us, "Hey." You know, how far is that dog behind that animal? Or whatever, how, how, if it's behind the coon or the rabbit, how far does those dogs track behind that mountain lion? Um, I would say. The did, they, coon, did those guys say? They sometimes will get a sight on one, but yeah. that's at the very end. Most of the time, they would be six to 800 yards behind him. So, I mean, they were on that's They pretty, were on him. That's yeah. pretty yeah. close. Yeah. But for six hours, them dogs had to be. Yeah. They, they had were to be whooped. good dogs. They yeah. were. They were whooped. And they fi- run those cats in off season though. Just they do for practice. They run them on dry ground. I mean, yeah. they will get a scent on dry ground, and they run some August and September hunts for. Got to keep things. them in shape. I mean, it's just yeah. like us. And when then we the, cats, hunt. the cats finally go up in the tree. Yes. Yep. They finally. Well, have I enough. know there's some guys too, and I've seen this on TV. They run them off cattle farms, and they just run them, try to push them miles and miles away from these yep. on the public land and stuff. So yeah. Hmm. Was it a? Was it exhilarating to the point you got nervous? Chasing that cat? No, it was to the point where I was ready to pull the trigger because everybody had worked so hard, and it was all up to me there at the end. Right. And I felt like, man, I'm going to let these guys down if something goes wrong. Now, the good part is when you tree one, you're usually within 30 feet. Right. So they always use like a 30-30 or a 22 I myself had a forty-five seventy, a little bit over, <laughs> little overkill. They're like, good you lord, yeah. yeah. It had a sixteen-inch barrel, old Marlin eighteen ninety-five, and it uh, one, you know, one shot, one kill, and no, no dogs got hurt, so that was good. Thought of doing it with a bow, I did, but then the thought of hiking all the way up there and missing or something going wrong right. or not having the right shot and all that work, it was. Yeah, I just, I don't blame you there. Will that cat stay there while while you walk up? No, not always. A lot of times they'll jump the trees if if they're if they're not too tired, they'll come down and jump trees and they'll take off for another couple miles. 
So I know Bobcats have done that. Well, I mean, we've traded Bobcats before. Yeah, walk you, up with a lot. You get you walk up to the, there with a lot, and man, that th- they're gone. Yeah, they're done. Yeah, and you could tell. And the best thing to do is just back out. I mean, oh you, yeah, yeah. At night time, you're not going to get off. close enough. So how big was the cat? Um, they we skinned him right there on the spot because it was a snowstorm blowing in that we had to get back to the um, uh, snowmobiles so that we could get back to the trucks. This was like a three phase deal. So we skinned him on the spot, and they said they estimated him like 170, 180 pounds. Wow, he was big. big I'm 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 almost six one, you know, two hundred twenty pounds. You can see me holding him. He he was good size. Fortner got that one. He does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's proud how of that long, one. How long before it gets? Done? I don't know. Probably a year and a half. Really? Yeah. I think the I think the coolest thing for it's going to be being able to to tell the story behind it because you'll probably never do that again. <laughs> no, I, I just that was that was one of a bucket list type thing. I was fortunate enough to be able yeah. to do this year, and they had an opening, and it was uh, it was fun. That's awesome. Do you, know who was, do you know who was in that truck the week before me? Who's that? Trump Jr. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They got him one in a day and a half, and he booked the last-minute deal before he had to go do a speech in Las Vegas. That's awesome. So I had some big shoes to fill in that truck. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> did they awesome. Did they say he was a good person to be They around? said he was in better shape than most of their guys. Really? They all had to wait on the other people to get there to take pictures because he. they said he is so in shape you wouldn't believe it. He went up and down that mountain like he had been guiding there for 10 years. It was really cool. And he said he's one of the salt-of-the-earth people you've ever met. That's awesome yeah. to hear. Because you see him on TV and see him posting it, you know, on social media or whatever, and he seems like he would be. He does. we got to get him on a he, podcast. I'm telling you, he is <laughs> He such, would probably do it. He is such an avid sportsman, y'all, and gives back so much to the hunting community. It's unbelievable. I didn't know, and I'm learned, I was learning all this by talking to them. It was, it was really cool. I'd vote for him. Me I'm, too. I'm going <laughs> to ask a stupid question. <laughs> Could you – do those guys eat that cat? They feed it to the dogs. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All of it. They quarter it up and feed a lot of it to the dogs. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. You can, I think. I would assume you can. I, I would, didn't. I didn't. I think I'm think sure Steve Renell. Hell, you could. Hell, you can eat coyotes. So I mean, you could eat a cat. <laughs> you I mean, sure, I'm out, sure Steve. I'm sure Steve Renell eats it. Outside of a South Georgia hog, that was the smelliest animal I've ever held. I bet. Yeah, Stinkiness animal. I've there, ever you got to ride eight hours back to the camp. So they actually like do it. pack it out for the dogs. Yes. Okay. They do. They have frame packs. They put it on. What what state was that? That was Utah, Utah, Southern Utah. Utah. Yep. Wow, I have to ask you out about that. How was the elevation? Um, I want to say we were seventy five hundred when we treed, but we were all over the place, anywhere from six to nine. Oh, okay. In that range. Yeah, because we run across those um, cougars or whatever you call them last year in uh, Colorado. We just were riding some BLM land. Yeah, and. I got a bunch of video of it of mom and three cubs, and it was just amazing seeing how big they were. Yeah. They were just eating. They were just eating a de- on a. Um, Are they I cubs th- or kittens? <sighs> they're probably kittens, I guess. <laughs> how big though, aren't they? Oh yeah, they're Those massive. Pictures you took was there, what would you would you have rather had that DSLR that you got? Oh, absolutely, because <laughs> I was taking pictures with my iPhone through my binoculars. Yeah, trying to get it, you know, close. But they were just on the side of BLM land. Uh, a goat or something got hit by a car. And they were just down there eating it. And that mom, watching her muscles when she was walking, so oh, yeah. how big they are. Yep. And those kittens or cubs, whatever you call them, <laughs> were down there fighting over it. Was They're, it a male or a female that y'all got, Jason? Male. Male. Mm-hmm. Male. Yeah. Do they try to limit the like taking a female? They do. Or a male? If it's an older female, I think they told me 90 to 110 pounds, they don't mind the, the guy taking it. Yeah. Because that's an older female. But they, um, they try to take right. big toms because they've only got so many permits and that's what does the most damage. So. 
you have to let the DNR know that you take. Okay, so that was an interesting question. Yeah, we um, we had to call the guy, and we met him at an Aldi, or was it an Aldi? It was some grocery store parking lot, and they dropped the tailgate, pull the cat out, and he starts taking a, a um, looks like he'd been to the dentist. He had a canine retractable screwdriver that pulled the canine out of the mouth of the mountain line that had to go back to the state. So what turned into like four of us turned into like 14 people coming over with their grocery carts watching this whole ordeal yeah. take place. It was pretty neat. That's cool. They had so, probably seen something like that before. Or no. I think some of yeah. them had, but there was just, it was a big cat. And so they were, they were interested in it. And there was, you know, some kids and stuff like that. It was pretty neat. So you got to tell the story and the guys were, were pretty excited about it. But yeah, you have to give it to the state and they have to take a tooth back before you can even leave the state with it. And then he gives you a harvest tag that replaces the, um, the kill tag that you put on it right when you get it. So, yeah, you know, I talked to Rusty. I don't remember if we talked about this when we had Rusty on, but he he killed a mountain lion this year, a cougar, whatever in uh, Idaho. Mm-hmm. And I don't, if if I'm not mistaken, I believe he had to call the DNR and tell them that he had spotted one before he went in there and hunted or something. It was something. Yeah, weird. It, it, was, something it was. Yeah, I remember you it was talking something weird about like that. that. He had to like let him know that he was actually in there hunting. Really? Yeah, huh. I'm going to pursue this animal yeah. at this point. And, and it may have been one of those that had a certain amount of tags, and he needed to make sure they still had open may, tags. May, for may that been, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, what an exhilarating experience! I mean, to see something like that. The ultimate predator, probably in the United States, is is a mountain lion, cougar, yeah. wherever it's at, but. Or a wolf. I mean, is that is that on the radar? Oh yeah, I'd love to do a wolf hunt Golly. one day. They we we've watched a lot of guys that that we've been acquainted with that are, are predator hunters, coyote, you mm-hmm. know, bobcat, whatever, that have went and and killed wolves. And it's just it's the same concept. You're keep it's a, and, and I want anybody that's listening to this that may or may not agree with that's keeping balance. It is. It's it all is about balance. balance. Wolves are really bad in Canada right now. Uh, Two thousand fourteen. I tagged out on the first day of a whitetail hunt and i hunted wolves the entire next six days and i only saw one and absolutely didn't get a shot at it right and that was one of the biggest animals i've ever seen and ever since then i've said i want to go back and do this again did you hear them at night yeah you could hear them at night we heard them in idaho too when we were on a bear hunt we heard them in alberta but um they hunt these huge circles you know the packs hunt in huge huge circles and um i saw one on a on a I guess it was a gas line about 650 yards away and it was white and it was standing out there. It looked like a horse. I mean, it's one of the biggest things you've ever seen at that distance. Did it make the hair on your back stand it sure up when did. you hear them? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's a sound you will never forget, you know? I've heard that, that people go to Canada, they hear them, at, you know, late in the evening howling and they say it's a unreal experience just to hear that animal. Yes. Did you know the Southeast used to have a lot of wolves? Did you know that? I heard a podcast here recently with Mike Chamberlain, mm-hmm. and that's what he actually specialized in before he got into turkeys was um, wolves. And I believe they were red wolves. Red in wolves the, in, in the Kentucky well, had still Red wolves them. got introduced in the early 90s, and it was actually to try to help control the population of coyotes. And then there was some crossbreeding going on and stuff like that. But people still see sightings of red wolves like Kentucky and North. Yep. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. And because I think it's – Go ahead. No, no, it's just I, I, I don't, I hadn't heard of anybody seeing them. That no, I don't think. It, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's recently. But I've, I, that podcast, yeah. I don't remember which one it was on. But mm-hmm. Mike Chamberlain was talking about. I believe it was with the hunting public, if I'm not mistaken. He was talking about. Yeah. Them. I pre- love the predators, super predators. Yeah, those wolves get big too. Like they sure do. Uh, like mid one fifty mm-hmm. range well, and one eighty up. Yeah, one eighty. Yeah. yeah, that's a. That's a big if dog. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I believe when I was younger, we went over one time to James Turner's dad's house, 
and I believe his dad's got a full body mount. Am I right about that? I believe that? it's his dad or his granddad. I can't remember. Yeah, and we went in there to move a elk or something on the thing, and I seen it, and I was like, I mean, the back is They're five monsters. or six, you know, five feet tall. Off I know there. Dale killed a real big one in Montana. Yeah. So. You got to think they're killing elk. I know. I mean. And they've got to eat one a week. That's one every I'm seven saying. or ten days to survive. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's something crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's like a high, high probability that if you have a – farm in that area and a wolf pack comes in you're going to be in trouble i mean there's been entire sheep farms wiped out out mm-hmm. west and the problem with it is there is so much anti-conservation mm-hmm. efforts to protect the wolves or and and, and i say anti-con uh conservation yeah anti-conservation i got my tongue tied there because it is when you think about a farmer who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building a farm and he's got livestock there and then a pack of wolves come in and and basically wipe out his entire livelihood and there's nothing he can do about it because some jackass is standing on the street corner and protect the wolves and they have no idea what they're actually protecting that was the hot topic in colorado this past year because they were reintroduced and i really do think a lot of the people are just clueless they think they're going to pack their family up from denver and they're going to go drive out to the western slope and get pictures of a wolf and drive back home and there's no repercussions to what that wolf does between, you know, yeah, the right, time it's born right. and the time it dies. They have no clue. They really are clueless when it comes to that. And your farmers, your hunters, everybody's just begging the state not to do that because it's there's no positive to it whatsoever. No balance. The no. balance is the balance has been proven. On, look what happened in Yellowstone. Yep. I mean, they decimated the elk population yep. there before going in with a couple of snipers and taking out an X amount of them that nobody really seems to know about. And then they want to talk about this study that was done back in the the early 2000s where the wolf population brought back the balance to yellowstone they they corrected the erosion of the elk that were migrating this and now there's no elk there i mean and they've they've decimated it the moose the elk everything that was there it's not there it's gone and now you have an exuberant amount of wolves that are moving south from those states Mm -hmm. into other ones what are you going to do? If I get hungry, what am I doing? I'm going to find something to eat. Yeah. If ain't nothing to eat here, I'm going to the next town that's just south of there. Yep. So it's just, it's a consistent problem. Now, do I think wolves serve a purpose in, in in the environment? Absolutely. I mean, but when you introduce something that doesn't have a predator to take it out, that's when you introduce us. Yeah. And that's that's, that's the key. The cycle. Keep well, the balance. It's, it's just like when they introduced coyotes, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, over here. Now look. They're not supposed to be here and – you know, but actually fox pens. That's yep. that's really where all that got oh, started. Yeah, when foxes were gone, they introduced them. They got out of the fox pens, mm-hmm. and they tried to make it where oh, we're we're turning them loose to control rabbit populations. Well, now that we've started hammering on them, we got more rabbits around. Yeah, Jason. Yes, sir. Slipping into twenty twenty one. Did you do anything exciting? I'm so excited about twenty twenty one. I'm it's, talking about I'm talking about before this even this episode. <laughs> did you do anything? I know Alex don't want to talk about spring turkey season, but did you have a good, I'm going to take oh, a break on that Did you one. have a good spring turkey season? I did. I didn't hunt as much as I wanted to. We were playing travel ball. We were playing um, rec ball and straight. It's just a lot of baseball. But you took one with on. a bow, correct? I did, yeah. First so, one? Yeah. First, um, no, that second one with a bow. Really? At the house, yeah. Yeah. How was that? Um, it was interesting. I'd been hunting all morning, hadn't heard a bird. Got home, was pretty down on my luck because they just they weren't very vocal this year for whatever reason for me. I wasn't in the right place at the right time. And I got home, and um, I stepped out of the truck, and the wind died down, and I hit that box call one time, and he hammered across the pond. On the other side of our pond, we've got a food plot, Yeah, and I could hear him. He started in on one end of it and gobbled on the other. I said, he's walking back and forth up there. Now, I can't see him, 
And I figured he had some hens with him. But I thought, well, I'm going to go mess with him anyway. So I grabbed my bow and I slid on down to the pond dam and I could see his his uh, tail yeah. up there at the food plot going back and forth. Well, we've got a humongous hundred old white oak that split at the base, but we're about four foot up at solid. I hid behind it and peeked through the, the V in between the two trees and yeah. started working him and there was no hen with him. Really? And as soon as I hit that call the second time, here he comes straight down the road all the way across the pond dam. So as soon as I saw him committed, basically, I got back behind the tree, locked on the release, and drew back behind the tree, and I counted to 10 and stepped out, and I said, oh, I don't know how far he is. And I knew to the pond dam was probably 22 yards. He was like 26, and I hit him a little bit low, but I let it fly and rolled him. I mean, that thing hammered him. Straight body shot? Straight body shot just above the beard and came out the back of the – he was kind of quartering to me, came out the back of the other wing, and it, it – mauled him so he didn't go nowhere he went flopping off down in the mountain or on the back side of the dam but he didn't go probably 15 yards That's it was awesome. so awesome i mean it was and it what i was trying to get landing on a bird we've been hunting hard and again just i'm we did i'm not a great turkey hunter i'll just go ahead and tell Is that you the only bird you killed this year that's the only bird i killed yeah. this year did yeah. you go out of state turkey hunting? i did not i didn't yeah. go out of state at all this year do you try to um no i would like to uh but i i didn't i've gone to colorado and killed a miriams before um, I've gone after Osceola, so I don't mind going out of state. Yeah, but this year was different. We yeah, was, now that balls, it was all baseball. Yeah, it was all baseball. That's ex- that's got to be exciting though to shoot one with a bow. It was. It was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome, especially on your home ground. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> especially when you're not expecting it. You know, it's like a gift. So yeah, it was fun. That's awesome. But I'm I'm fired up for 2020. All right, Alex, come back in here. <laughs> oh, my We had a turkey hiatus. Uh, we uh, oh. I wanted to go since we were going through the season there. We. It kicked off. You didn't catch no fish, did you? No, didn't even go fishing. Thank God. You, you had a good turkey season. <laughs> it wasn't bad around here. I, I struck out out of state, but it was a good season around yeah. here. Yeah. Good. Caden yep. hammered a couple big ones. It was a good it was a good season for everybody. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. Great one. I caught several fish. Uh, caught a lot of crappie <laughs> back in back in uh, yeah, we caught uh, a bunch of early, too. early yeah. turkey season. And, I, and I'm actually ready for it. You know, I'm actually ready for it. I'm ready for deer season and we've had a lot of turkey guys on here lately yeah. and, and and I was, as I was sitting here thinking, this could be our kickoff to deer season almost, really. It really can't. It's already August, y'all. I don't know. Yeah. This year's gone. I mean, we, we may have kicked it off a few few other times, but. Can you get a, how do you get a fall? Can you get a fall tag in Illinois to hunt one? I don't know if they're over the counter. Okay. Yeah. I, I hadn't looked yeah. into that. I heard yeah. them gobbling last year and clucking around and acting stupid over there yeah. where Alex was I hunting. never fall hunted. I don't think I, I don't think I. Did we? Yeah, that home. last day, you don't remember him back in there cackling and acting no, foolish? I was paying attention. I've to heard him gobble up there. there. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard him gobble up there. Yeah, I have seen some with some ropes from the deer stand. Oh. I'm watching. I'm going, I know you can see me up here, and I you're going to walk right past here at 12 yards like nothing's going on. But in the spring, when I've got a decoy out, just stay 400 <laughs> yards over there. Yeah. <laughs> we I saw some this, this past weekend. In El- in I, told, I told Cody, and I've been telling you about the turkeys up there in Illinois and Iowa, how yeah. big they look. And we come by field, and they were out. And it, it was probably a, I don't know if it was beans or it's no it's CRP that they had mowed yeah. and they were standing there. Cody goes, "Good God, look at them ostriches!" And they are. I mean, they oh, stand yeah. so much taller. Yeah, they they're just ugly. Fire. They're ugly though. They look like buzzards up there. They do. Our they birds do. are pretty. The ones up there, man, kind of. Uh, ugly. They're 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 pretty. Are they Easterns, Nick? I yeah, I think in I think in Missouri, once you buy your deer tags, I believe you get you a can. couple uh, turkey tags. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting in the stand. 
Oh, Longbeard walks by, you can smoke him too. So and feel or, weird, but, but you can't. There's some kind of, of restriction yeah. on the beard. I, I I don't know if it's that way now, but I remember when going to to Missouri, you had you couldn't kill a a gobbler with a beard more than like two and a half inches long, and you could kill a hen, but you couldn't kill a long beard in the fall in Missouri. When I was looking to go up there years ago, so Nick have a pair of scissors in his pocket, <laughs> <laughs> trimming it off. <laughs> Uh, I'm shooting the first hen that comes by me. I'm letting something eat. Retribution for home, eating my food plots up. Terry Peer posted a picture of one the other day in Kentucky that had that long beard on I've it. Seen he, said, that. Does my, he said, does this beard make my uh, back hurt from carrying it around all day? I ain't seen a whole lot of poults, though, posted. No. I ain't seen them around here either. We've been seeing a bunch of hens at the house, and early season or – Early birthing season, saw six or seven poults. Now I haven't seen any. We've got some Do at you? the house, yeah, but it's That's the good. only ones I've seen. That's good. It's the only poults I've seen driving around all the work and everywhere I've been. It's yeah. weird. Well, Alex, let's kick this deer season off. 2021 it's deer season so is right close. around the corner. It is so I mean, close. We're knocking on the door of it, and as you and I have talked a lot on the sidelines of how turkey season amped you up with all the podcasts and stuff and the conversations that we had for it, deer season's kind of been that way for me. And the opportunities at hand where going out of state, you all, all three of us are going to, to Illinois. I know Jason will be there as well. So, you know, we're going to have a, a an exuberant amount of people there from our local area. I know Mayo and all of his crew are going up there. Fowler's going to be there with his guys. We've got uh, friends that are I work with that are going to be there. We stayed with them this past weekend. And there's going to be a lot of us in that area around the same time. I think from November, the let's say the 6th, because that's the first full weekend, Till the end of November, probably till shotgun starts. So for two, two and a half weeks there, it's going to be a Cherokee County Hammer show up there, I hope. I, I hope. hope so too, man. And I hope the weather's right. But going back to what we talked about on those conversations, you talked about how fired up it got you for turkey season. I'm as fired up. Nick, I'm mad at him again, son. I am mad at him again like I hadn't been in a long time, and I think it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, you know, we kind of, we've we've been going through that. We're going through the steps here. So you you guys just got back from Illinois, and I know this is going to um, I know this is going to drop later for everybody. But you guys went up um, just recently to go to Illinois. What what's just your what's your early season planning as you're going up there? Myself, I want to go and, and find you know ground uh we're hunting public land and this is the first opportunity that cody and i have taken going out of state to actually go and scout and when you go up in november my thought process is i want to find a spot i want to get in there and i want to stay in not invasive i don't want to go into a bedding area and look through it and find those ditches or draws other than what i'm finding on a map and laying my eyes on but when I go up there this time of year, I'm not really that worried about that because the deer, they're not patternable to, to my, you know, hunting because it's, what, two and a half. It's 90-something days from now. Deer's going to forget all about me being there, and there's all tell, there's no telling what kind of pressure is going to be on it between me getting there and now. I want to go find out the way the terrain lays, find those ditch lines. It's, it's almost like new growth, mm-hmm. uh, and to see what is there and seeing the way that, you know, they're, they're, they're making their mark now tracks trails and find where they're coming from now i know it's going to change at that point but i know if i go and i look at a ditch that ditch ain't changing between now and november and that's the key thing for me and what we found this past week was go into an area look at it because you're not going to be able to do that in november i mean we're looking at six days that we've got to look over an area and we don't have the time to do it so i think for me it was 
putting eyes on the ground. That me, was the biggest thing. Let me ask you this, though, and I think we brought this up before, but for a refresher for folks, if you're looking at your hunt stand or Onyx, whatever you may use, Illinois being flat, you're not finding a lot of pinch points on there if you're looking at contour lines. Well, what are you looking at? Are you looking at hunt stand before you go, and what are you looking at to go in there to scout? Off, just off of that. So last year what we did was we actually printed out the, the physical maps of the locations we were going to hunt. And we had a parcel or a block of timber that we were able to hunt. I would draw it out. And then I would go over to Google Earth. And Google Earth shows contour lines way more in depth than any of the map systems that I oh, use. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it'll show you the contour lines. It'll show you a lot of that in-depth features. And I would overlay that data. Not physically on a computer doing that but i would look at it and find a point or you know a, a reference marker to the terrain and say okay i know right here this is a ditch line dropping down the lines have gotten close together i know the terrain's falling faster so i'm looking at that terrain falling faster and i know there's got to be something that's causing that ditch to fall and like you said it's flat in a lot of the areas that we hunt so i'm trying to find those areas well you talk about pinch points too like we looked at this this past weekend when we were up there as far as ditch lines and stuff like that, you couldn't see. But on a lot of this public land, we noticed there would be some swamp areas and there may be a, a line, a little narrow line of timber running right between these two swamp areas and in between two big ag fields. We went there and looked at those areas, and it's just it's just a highway. Travels on there. They're hugging the edge of that, that swamp, thick stuff, transitioning between bed and, and feed or two different feed sources. And that's one of the places that – Actually, I when it ended up getting permission uh, for an easement to get into this area, um, a lot easier from just a landowner up there. But um, looking at stuff like that has really helped us as well. Well, I'll I tell you, there's probably not a lot of um, big timber up there ex where we hunt at. And this might be a question for you, Jason. You might be able to answer it better because you're an early season hunter. Are those big bucks staying in that bigger timber right now, or are they staying in those crops? Both. Yeah. Both. They've got multiple bedding areas this time of year is what I see. When it gets super hot, they bed in the corn a lot. you got a lot of moisture down low. They can stay shaded all day long, and they can stand up and move in a 40-foot radius and then bed right back down. And only when they need to go get water do they leave the corn is what we see. And sometimes they get the water in the corn when you got a low-lying area holding water. Timber, that we still get a lot of pictures of bucks in some big timber this time of year too, but I think it's because they're in a transition coming between a bedding area and go into some crops two bean fields or something like that um i mean there's no acorns right now so so when you're setting up those cameras do you try to set it up between maybe a point a and point b like between a a, a late season bedding area or do you try to what are you what are you looking for i'm trying to go off the intel i had last year so i usually leave my cameras out and let them run until the batteries die hopefully in february and then I'm taking any bit of that information I can, and based on what crop the crop rotation, how we catch it for this year, I'm looking for visibility. So a lot of times you just got to go out and hit the roads and start using the binoculars because when there's that much corn up up there, it is hard to find mm -hmm. a lot of a, a multitude of bucks. Um, you just got to spend time scouting in person and let the cameras do the rest of the work if you can. So having said that, I'll put the cameras on. I'll try to put one on beans, one on corn. And I always try to put out some sort of attractant where it's legal to hopefully bring one in or out to get a picture of. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's one thing we looked at too is we knew that like I like I joked with you before the show is I said you can't hang a camera on a corn stalk, you know. So trying to figure out, 
all right, if these deer are, are going to leave this corn at some point during the day, where are they going to filter through this yep. timber to get a, you know, because on public land, we can't put anything out as far as an attracting or feed or anything like that. Or So we had to find just trails, heavily used trails, ditch lines, like Alex said, fingers of woods that maybe they're traveling down the edge of to, to get into these bigger tem- pieces of timber. And that's where we hung our uh, cameras. You also just don't discount scouting from the truck up there. Right. Because you can take a pair of binoculars and cover, you know, 600 acres in five or 10 minutes with two of you in the truck. And if you see multiple deer coming out in a certain area, just because you didn't see a big shooter buck right there doesn't mean he's not coming through there at some point. That's a good spot to start with a camera. And that saves a lot of time. I I didn't learn any of that till later. I'm putting cameras out everywhere trying to find them and getting frustrated this time of year when i don't see a big deer and then a buddy of mine told me let's just ride around until we find some bachelor groups or even doe groups and watch where they're coming and why are they coming into this section of beans but there's none over here there's so many questions this time of year you can't answer put your eyes on them and where you see deer put a camera and i think you hit the nail on the head with this time of year yes we hung cameras for an advancement into when we will return in november I'm not necessarily looking to find a giant buck on camera right now. Right. I know I would love to have a piece of private sure. up there to know the inventory of the bucks that are there, but with the 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 public land hunting mm-hmm. opportunities that we're on, we're hanging a camera and we're putting that camera in an area that is there going to be a deer right in here once that corn's gone? Probably so because it's thick as hell. Right. So I'm going to hang that camera here, yeah. and when those the corn's gone the beans are gone or whatever those deer are going to be moved back in those core absolutely. areas absolutely and i think that's the thing that we didn't subconsciously we were thinking about this is where i'm going to hunt i'm not hunting in the middle of the cornfield mm-hmm. so i'm not going to hang a camera over there going to it we were subconsciously thinking for the future and because i'll be honest with you if i don't get a picture until october 31st of an absolute giant i'm fun. there in november 6th absolutely tickled to death with it and yep. don't don't discount that uh that first cold front in october you can be tagged out and save your vacation days for here i'm just telling you <laughs> oh don't That's tell what, me with the good i'm time. just telling you i we, hope we, somebody out there one of these listeners or one of us takes it to heart but i mean you can get a really big deer killed in october well we we joked around i said you know what's gonna happen one of these cameras is gonna start triggering day after day a buck traveling through there and i'm like well long weekend here i come you know <laughs> and and that's the thing i want i want anyone listening to this to remember you're six hours yeah from the buck of a lifetime oh yeah you're 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 Eight a hours, drive you know it whatever it is wherever you go whether it be to hunt a place in kentucky or or uh Missouri or, or Iowa or Illinois, not Iowa per se, because you didn't draw a tag, but you can go to a lot of these states and get a tag over the counter, mm-hmm. and you can be there in on a Friday evening. You can go up Friday night, go hunt a piece of public ground, get out there and chase them. I mean, that's the thing, and I think that unattainable goal that people think is so much out of their reach, yeah. really not. Are you yeah. really telling people just to stop going out on, on the weekends and save a little extra money? Yeah, if you hey, really want to go somewhere, if you really want to go somewhere in June, July, and August, start stop. taking your lunch to work. That's right. Save you money. Yeah, yeah save you money. Because <laughs> that's I all mean, it takes. It does. I mean, you can. You can. It's like we've talked about time and time again, and I've had conversations with with all three of y'all about this. You put your money where you want it to go. If you want to eat out every day, that's great. All right, ten dollars a day. That's fifty dollars a week. That's two hundred dollars a month. In two months, you've bought your tag. In another month, you paid for your gas and somewhere to stay. Think about it. I mean, that's the, I 
don't go out to eat every day. I go out to eat three days and I take it too because I need a little bit of money to take. So, I mean, it's, you know, and, 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 but I've got my money set back and set aside for those opportunities. Yeah. And instead of just putting my eggs in one basket in, in Illinois or, or going to, you know, Iowa or wherever it may be, I'm fixing to really amp up. I'm going to put a mattress in the back of that expedition and my tail is going to go to somewhere. What I spend 200 bucks on a tag? at the opportunity to hunt two days for a lifetime deer. I mean, that's the thing for me. Yeah. You're you're not taking those opportunities to heart if you're not doing them for yourself. You, you want to complain that you don't have the money to do it. You don't have the money to do it because you don't want the money to do it. That's the thing. Yep. You have other things that you want. You have other things that you desire. Yeah. And if you don't put your money where it needs to be, you're not going to have it come fall to go chase a deer or spring turkey. I mean, if you're not saving your money – what are you over grinning about? Because I'm about to pump your brakes. <laughs> Alex, I got, I got on a tangent there. Alex is saying, fill your underwear drawer up. Quit going out to eat. Yeah, I mean, and, but that's the thing about it. I hear people all the time, and I, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of individuals on a day-to-day -day basis that will call me, and they'll say, how much did your tag cost in Illinois? $480. Well, how much did it cost you in gas? $120. I split it two ways. Find a buddy that you're willing to travel with. Yeah, That's absolutely. the key thing for me. I would have never went to Illinois without Cody. Yeah. Now, I may have been in Iowa or Ohio or wherever, it, and I would have found somewhere else to go. But you have to find somebody that linked to the tendencies that you have. If I'm an angry person in the morning, which I'm generally not, I get up, drink my coffee, I'm happy as could be. But if somebody's not in the same mindset that I am to be successful – I'm not going to find myself going with them somewhere. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. Sorry. And and go price a week. Go price of staying a week at Panama City. Everybody does that. And then look at what you can go out west to hunt for a, for a week, and you can do it cheap. But I'm not saying take away from no, what but your, I'm just your saying family time. It's you know. fathom. Like, people think, man, I could never afford to do that. But if you just look and actually do some research – it's way more affordable to I've, do got, I've got two guys and i'm not gonna mention her name because it was a, a very private intimate conversation i have with one of these guys and he said from the time he started listening to this podcast to what he's going to be doing in november he will go out of state for the very first time this year to hunt a piece of public ground that he went out and found he didn't ask me for any information i get those calls he didn't ask me to tell him where i was hunting at i get those calls that's awesome he found his own place to go just by listening to this show and the people sitting right here all four of us and, by talking about and getting it. a boost of confidence that he could do it I love that's it. right him and I his cousin it. are going they're going to their first place he said we found a little little camping spot on a piece of public we're gonna go pop a tent up Okay, you may be uncomfortable for I a few it. days, but what about the comfort you're sitting in your house looking at a 160-inch deer that you're never going to kill where you're at? That's right. Think about those it. comforts. You know, I mean, it's all about your passions. Chase it. And I love it. I mean, I, I love that. I mean, he came to the house, and he was like – and he asked. He didn't ask for details. He asked, if you had one week to go, when would you go? And I told him when I would go this year, and he booked his time off from work to go there and hunt. And I'm talking, these boys, they grew up rough. They ain't got nothing. They've got kids, but they're saving up for that trip because that's what they want to do. That's awesome. You know, so. Yep. Hey. Thanks, everybody. And this week's episode brought to you by Flying Jay's Gas Station. <laughs> <laughs> and Casey's Pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love truck stop. Get your Bucky's. roller grill items. Yeah, yeah, yeah Bucky's. Stop yes, by yeah. that new Bucky's in Calhoun. And get stop, you get you a barbecue sandwich, some gas, and get on the road. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. Jason, um. When you're when you're watching those deer early season, those bachelor bucks, how much do you think those bachelor bucks are breaking up from October to November? 
from October I mean, to November. Not breaking or breaking up, and how far do you think they're traveling from where you're seeing them in say August or early September? Man, it all depends. Um, it all depends. Yeah. That's a great question. You think they're traveling along? I mean, I know you run Some uh, probably of them more. Ca- this is my first Some year running cameras. Okay, and and I've been up there to see those bachelor groups, but then and then again, I don't know how far they're they're traveling. And like I told you before we started the show, I've got deer on camera that are now not showing back up, and I can't figure out why right now during this time. So this is my first year running cell cameras, so I'm just trying to put it all together. Be prepared. You'll you'll go missing a deer or two. Yeah. A lot of times, especially a three, four, four-year-old deer, they're gone. You won't ever see them again. You might see a picture of them that the neighbor seven miles away killed. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, because my wheels are spinning now thinking, all right, do I need to move my stand? Do I need to move my, my uh, camera? Do I need to find that, you know, that thick ground where he's staying? Or what do I, you know, that's what's constantly going through my if, mind. If you've got everything to hold that deer there and it's an older deer, that's core range is starting to shrink a little bit. That's a good thing. That's yeah. what you want to see. But some of those younger bucks that have potential that you're praying you see again next year, don't, don't, don't. Now, do you think if you hard. see that bachelor group in a certain area, say you're up there three, three afternoons and you see them all in the same spot, do you think that bigger buck is going to stay there and the smaller bucks are going to expand out not necessarily they're just like people each of them have their own personality there there could be one in there that thinks he's rambo and he's three years old and he will take the lead and run the other ones off okay they're just like people they all got their own personality that's why run as many cameras as you can keep tabs on them as best you can but don't be disheartened when they go missing because a lot of times you're you'll get You'll get a bonus buck. I always call them bonus bucks. You'll get a new one in October when they start searching. Okay. I mean, it's just that's just the way it is. Yeah. And and you know when we're up there too, the peak of the rut as we call it, no telling what you're going to see. So what we're getting on camera may not be. Yeah. And that's, that's why, like Alex was talking about, we're not really excited to see what's there until late October, yep. early November, and even those from that that buck they tracked last year in where Missouri or whatever went 18 miles. I mean, yeah, that no was telling. a cool study. Yeah, that was a yeah. cool study. No telling what's going to, you know, show up. So that's what's. You so hear you hear a lot of people that hunt the Midwest talk about they hate hunting the rut mm-hmm. because I their do. their big core buck is going to be gone. Yep. It's and a it's a love hate relationship, and I hate it. Yeah, but I love it a little and hate it a lot. I think if I think that's the difference in hunting public land mm-hmm. or we like it because yeah we don't know what's coming from all this public land or all this sure. private land these people have had locked down and now they've followed the right dough exactly to our doorstep yep but if you own land and you've been watching deer all year and now that deer is killed eight miles down the road it's frustrating but it's got to be tough too because just like backing up to what i said earlier right now you got all these crops it's all thick corn that is holding the deer when they go in there and cut all that stuff that, that that's going to change their it's got to change the everything pattern. Everything changes. It's everything. Yep. So, I mean, take us through that, Jason. What do you – take us through your scouting tactics. Um, I love, again, I, I love glassing from the truck this time of year. I, we're, we're heading out to Kansas on Friday. We'll spend an hour and a half Friday night, hour and a half Saturday night behind the wheel, going to different farms, watching through through the binoculars. Then we'll pick some spots to put cameras. Um, hopefully, if one of those deer is on us, because I have the opportunity to hunt them early, I'm going to try to hone in on that deer. If I didn't, if, if for some reason we didn't and I was able to continue hunting it like our Illinois lease in October, um, I get super aggressive mid-October. And late October, I still stay aggressive. And then during the rut, I, I'm going to well, sit back and let it Let me ask this. So, okay, so you're right now you're glassing. You get up there probably mid-October. As long as we got dry weather, they're going to start cutting. Mm-hmm. Usually, usually mid to late, late October. 
what is your pattern changing from there? Are you moving cameras at that time? Are you yeah. still? You oh, are? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You are? Yep. And you're moving those to the bedding area to the, the to the timber. And I'm doing a lot of in season scouting at that time of year. Yeah, a whole are you, lot. Are you still going to be scouting from the truck in the afternoons, or no. are you going to be hunting? No, I'm hunting. Okay. I'm hunting and sticking and moving and scouting and taking cameras with me, and moving quite a bit. Okay, and moving and watching. Okay, I, that's that's one of my favorite times of year. Here's the thing, it's like, um, and I think a lot of people get hung up on this. So here's a good analogy: the newspaper tell us what happened yesterday. Our Bible is going to tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. People get caught up on old sign that happened yesterday and that time of year that you're talking about. So they find an area that's been scraped, and it might have been from three nights ago. I'm looking for what's happening 24 hours from when I was there. So you can do that by hunting and scouting at the same time. And this technique of, of moving and staying mobile, that's, that's what allows you to be in that same – it puts yourself in the best situation for fresh sign to get on that buck of a lifetime and make it happen that time of year, if that makes sense. So – in season scouting, put your stand on your back and move. Move as much as you can in October and find that deer. And when everybody else is talking about the October lull, he didn't go underground. He didn't go hiding. He's with a doe somewhere or he's in a core bedding area where, like we talked about before in the corn, he's just standing up for a couple hours during the day and you might only have a 20 minute of, you know, legal light to get that deer killed. You need to move in 50 yards of his bedding area and get him killed. You're not going to kill them sitting out on the edge of corn, but you'll see a lot of deer. You'll see a lot of activity, mm-hmm. young bucks acting crazy, but that's all good and great unless that's the big deer doing that. Right. If you want to kill him, you got to get in there soon, quick, before the rut hits. And that's why I hate the rut because then everything changes. It's hell's bells once, it's once that all, first one comes into heat. All. And it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing deer chasing, grunting. I love all that just as much as anybody, but not when I've got a, a target buck pinned down that I'm playing cat and mouse with and then everything changes. So yeah. essentially, get go ahead, Cody. Well, I was just going to say it makes perfect sense because the first year I went to Illinois, and even part of the second season that I went, I wanted to be on that field edge because you're you're seeing fifty, sixty deer a day, and you're oh, yeah. watching all them small bucks chasing does, and it's a lot of fun. And then until the last, really last year and this year, we're really starting to hone in. Okay, we'll let them, like you just said, we'll let them do all their little thing. We want to get in here where the big boys are and really try to make something happen. So yeah. get bored. That's one thing I've yep. thought about. Get bored. Yeah. If you're seeing a lot of action, you're probably not bored, and you're probably not going to kill a good buck. When the first one comes into heat and things things will change Yep. in that spot. And you get into those places where you only see one or two deer. Yeah. What's a big guy want to do? He wants to get away from everybody, and he wants to drag his doe to those key areas. You're not going to see those big deer. We have to be careful, too, because just like you, you hit the nail on the head earlier. A lot of guys got one week to take off of work, that's and that's right. the time they've got, and it's going to be the rut when the activity's high and no telling what's going to come past them. That's the time to sit back and wait and just you never know what you're going to come by. you. That's a good time to sit back and wait and be less mobile and more patient. But the other 90 days of deer season, get aggressive. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I mean, I, mean, I yeah. think it's a I've, – I've always been one that wants to jump around. But one thing that I've had to learn and tell myself is you have to be tactful in the way that you do it. Sure. And don't be overly aggressive because you go in too far, you've pushed the limits, you've blowed them into the next county. Maybe. But you push that little bit of that edge and you find that edge of where he's traveling. And then, to me, that's what, that's what I like to do. Go in, get on the outside edge. You might catch him coming back to bedding like I did last year and got him killed. You'll be surprised how much you'll catch him bedding because guess what we just talked about? Where's all the corn? It's in a silo. It's That's gone. Right. You yeah. just took all their bedding away. These older deer, just like an older man, they're stubborn. That's right. And they will come back there. Yep. And 
that's because they know 90% of the time you're, you are gone, mm-hmm. except for the one time you stay and sit in his bed in there and bump and dump him. That's what I call it. Well, we, I, bump I, him out of there, let him come back, and dump him when he gets in on top of you. I, I listened back to the episode from 10, and you said that. You said, you know, if I go into a spot and it's thick and I see him jump up or hear something, you said you usually go back in there and Get hang a right away. Hung right away, yeah. immediately. Yeah. Yep. Where, where most people would go. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to come back home. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to yeah. come back home. Nick, yeah. Look, I hate to do this, but uh, y'all going to have to come back and listen to a part two of this one and hear what November comes all about. I, I hate to do it. We ain't broke one off in a minute, but the, hey, the listeners need it. They need a yeah. they need a part two of this Jason Lewis Chronicles as we go into November and we get into the super grind. And God, I felt like I had a good buck on camera. Now you're going to cut me off. I am. You are. You're not. Your camera batteries just went dead. (laughs) No more shooting. Oh, my goodness. So, hey, everybody, we appreciate you tuning in for this amazing episode. Jason's back here with us, and uh, we're going to have him back again. Y'all don't worry. We're going to have him back on the next episode. So, for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, I want to remind you to smile as you go and don't forget, mount the memories.